You can't do that. You can't do that to me. You can't do that. You can't do that to me. Hey, Home Slices. This extended episode of Sub Media Reviews is actually a double feature this week. I'm comparing The Terminator versus The Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and these movies are just so jam-packed that I had to break the review into two parts. So each movie has its own part, and the final comparison is at the end of part two. So don't forget to check out both episodes. Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What's up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to this super special episode of Sup Media Reviews. I'm your host, Kiara, and I'm so excited to present my second original versus sequel review. In this extended episode, we'll compare the first Terminator movie to Terminator 2 Judgment Day, one of the only film franchises where people kind of universally agree that the sequel is far better than the original. We'll do a quick synopsis on each movie and spend the bulk of our time comparing the two. So let's get into the first Terminator. The first film in the Terminator franchise was directed by James Cameron and released in 1984, making it the oldest film I reviewed to date. The movie features Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, and Michael Bean, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that last name, as Kyle Reese. I'm going to keep it all the way real with y'all. Prior to watching the movie for this review, I had never seen the first Terminator movie. Quite frankly, I feel like from what I've heard of the movie is that it was a little confusing and wasn't really worth watching because of how good the second one was. I'm super happy though to watch this movie with fresh eyes and judge for myself. Here are some fun facts about the movie. While shooting this film, James Cameron often resorted to what he called guerrilla filmmaking as a way of getting around acquiring permits needed to film certain scenes. This involved the production crew and actors quickly arriving at a specified location, shooting the scene, and leaving before the police arrived. As a result, some of the people seen in a few shots are actually everyday citizens completely unaware they're in a movie. This was also used for reshoots with Cameron, even calling and waking Arnold Schwarzenegger once at 3 a.m. to meet him at a location already in full costume to quickly reshoot a scene. Cameron also used this tactic to film the very last scene where Sarah drives off into the desert. Waiting for the heat to rise to the point that ripples could be filmed, a highway patrolman appeared. Producer Gail Ann Hurd convinced him they were working on a UCLA film project and he allowed them to finish. Now you all, I'm not a huge fan of James Cameron as a person. A lot of things that I've read about him make him come across as super shady and like low-key pro-colonialism. So <laughs> it does not come as a surprise to me that he would try to not pay a locality to use their space in a movie. So yeah, we'll just leave it at that. The second fun fact is that Arnold Schwarzenegger tried to avoid Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean as much as possible since the Terminator was trying to kill them so he wouldn't form connections. I feel like this is a fantastic excuse not to interact with your coworkers. <laughs> like I'm doing method acting so you and I cannot have a friendship because my character is trying to kill you. I think that's actually pretty clever. 
And finally, the last fun fact is that near the beginning of the movie at around 23 minutes, when Sarah Connor receives a message on her answering machine breaking her date, the voice on the machine is James Cameron's. Years later, Hamilton and Cameron got married and subsequently divorced. This was a fun fact that I did not know. So Linda Hamilton, who plays Sarah Connor, was married to James Cameron for, I believe, two years and they divorced and James Cameron immediately went on to a new relationship. So once again, James Cameron not coming up is like the nicest guy, <laughs> but whatever. If you want to check out Terminator, you can watch it on Max or DirecTV as of the recording of this episode. So usually it's this point where I talk about my personal connection to a film, but because I've never seen this movie, I don't really have a personal connection to it. Having watched the sequel as a child, I feel like adults talked about how the sequel was much better than the first movie and that in this first movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger was actually the bad guy. So I guess that was enough to deter me from watching this movie. But I'm eager to talk about my perspective on watching this for the first time. So let's dive in. So the first Terminator movie opens up in 2029 AD in Los Angeles. The scene looks super post-apocalyptic with skulls strewn across the demolished landscape. And we see a few humans who appear to be running from and fighting robots or some otherwise advanced technology. The graphics are pretty bad by today's standards, but it was 1984 and that was years before I was born. So I'm assuming that this was cutting edge technology back then. But then we see a message flash across the screen that reads, the machines rose from the ashes of the nuclear fire. Their war to exterminate mankind had raged for decades, but the final battle would not be fought in the future. It would be fought here in our present tonight. So yes, that gives us a little bit of some background about what's going on here. But then next, the cast names flash across the screen and then they use this kind of like analog keyboard like old school keyboard way to like flash names across the screen, which I thought was actually pretty cute. But in this next scene, we go to what's supposed to be present day in Los Angeles. It's in 1984 at 1.52 AM. And a man who's operating a dump truck gets caught in the middle of this weird kind of electrical storm. And then suddenly a naked buff Arnold Schwarzenegger arises out of nowhere. What we witnessed was him, the Terminator, traveling back in time. So Arnold Schwarzenegger looks really good in this movie. He was in his mid to late 30s at the time it was filmed. And the Terminator looks across the lit up city and approaches three young punks with his penis swinging. Y'all, he's naked. It's a little bit like distorted because it's in the shadow. But we can see Arnold's penis. <laughs> Which I thought was fantastic. And I don't want to say that like I'm a pervert or anything. What I'm saying is I find it very interesting and forward thinking to have male genitalia be shown in a movie in 1984. I feel like we're much more likely to see a woman's lady parts than a man's man parts. So I'll give James Cameron credit here. It was very interesting and low-key refreshing to see a movie from the 80s where we actually saw a little bit of male genitalia. So that's fun. <laughs> but the Terminator approaches these three young punks and one of the young punks is actually Bill Paxton, who went on to be a movie star in his own right. The young punks kind of talk to him, but Arnold only really repeats what they say. It's kind of like he's learning the language. But then he demands they give their clothes to him and they all are like, screw you. And they pull out their switchblades and then Arnold Schwarzenegger senses a threat and he punches one. He throws Bill Paxton up against a wall or a fence. And then he gets stabbed by the third punk. And then he proceeds to punch the third punk so hard that his fist somehow penetrates his abdomen and is now covered in blood. The scene was funny. It was actually quite hilarious to me. I also saw that Arnold Schwarzenegger had a decent pedicure in the scene, which is kind of cool. And one of the punks actually hands over his clothes after seeing this little horror scene. And Bill Paxton just low-key disappeared. I don't know if he ran off or what. He just, after he got thrown up against that fence, he just wasn't in the scene no more. 
So in the next scene, there's a weird trash alley and another electrical storm that happens and another naked man appears. He's a little smaller and thinner than Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's pretty scarred on parts of his body. He's fit, but he's not as big as Arnold. And he gets caught by the police for stealing pants from a homeless man. (laughs) And so the police start chasing him and he's running like a crazy person, like I don't know if they told him to run crazy so to show the stark contrast between this person and Arnold, but there's something about his scurrying that screams desperation. And it's actually like really good and appropriate for the movie. So at some point he gets the best of a cop that's chasing him and he threatens an officer with his own gun. And he's like, hey, what day is it? Like he uses a police officer's gun to get a date. <laughs> it turns out it is May 12, 1984. And as other officers arrive, he runs away with the officer's gun and he scurries into a store. Looks like a department store. And this is where he's able to grab a jacket and some more clothing and some shoes out of a bin, y'all. Now, these shoes came out of a bin. I want y'all to keep that in mind. Then we see him actually put on the shoes in a dressing room and they are these really nice high top Nikes. And I'm like, ain't nobody pulling out no Nikes out of a bin, okay? I found out that the shoes are actually called Nike Vandals and they are so nice. I would love to have a pair of those shoes. But the store that he's in reminds me of a store we used to have in Houston called Wieners. I don't know if anybody is going to know what I'm talking about, but that's the kind of feel that I get from this store. But it has an escalator, so I'm assuming it's in a mall. It's kind of hard to describe. I don't know. But he manages to get away, escape out of a window or something, and he grabs a shotgun from an unoccupied cop car. So he escapes and goes to a payphone, and he finds three Sarah Connors in the phone book. So next up, we finally meet Sarah Connor. She's riding a moped to her job at Big Jeff's, which is like a diner restaurant. And she's like a really beautiful woman with this super 80s feathered hair. And she has these kind of like downturned eyes that make her expression look almost a little sad, but in like this really nice kind of way. Linda Hamilton, who plays Sarah Connor, just she is a great looking woman, I'll say. So the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, shows up in a new scene wearing the biggest punk's clothes that he stole, and he steals an old station wagon. So back at the diner, Sarah is having a rough day. The customers are complaining. One of the kid customers puts a big scoop of ice cream in her apron pocket. You can tell she don't get paid enough, okay? So (laughs) the Terminator goes to like a gun store or a pawn shop, and he gets weapons. He's like, give me that Uzi, give me that gun with the laser beam, some other gun I don't care about. I'm not really a gun fan. And then... In a twist of events that I low-key wasn't expecting, but should have expected, the Terminator kills the store owner by loading one of the guns that he requested. And I, for whatever reason, just wasn't expecting that. And he gets all of his purchases for free. So Arnold accosts a man who's using a phone booth to get Sarah Connor's information. So you guys, I feel like it's a little shocking to me that phone booths that were available basically on every corner had yellow pages. Is it yellow pages or white pages? I can't remember which one is for people. Yellow pages, I think, is for businesses. So I think every phone book had like a white pages book where you could go to a phone booth and open up this huge phone book and look up anybody you wanted to look up in the area. And you could get their address and phone number. I remember phone books from being very young, but they went out of style years later. It's horrifying to me that I could go to any corner and know where somebody lives. (laughs) I don't know why. When I saw that both the Terminator and the other skinny man who we later come to learn his name is Reese, like the two people who traveled back from the future that they could just find a phone book and find a location for somebody is freaking horrifying, okay? I don't know why that scared me so much. So anyway, the Terminator gets Sarah Connor's information. And if you recall, there are multiple Sarah Connors. 
So the Terminator goes to the house of the first Sarah Connor. He confirms that her name is Sarah Connor and he shoots her in the head and then shoots her multiple times to make sure that she is dead. So back at Big Jeff's, Sarah's coworker pulls her into the break room to be like, hey girl, you're dead. That's kind of like a joke because <laughs> somebody named Sarah Connor who has the exact same name died. Little do they know that Sarah Connor is third on that list. So... <laughs> Now, I feel like this movie is actually kind of big on collateral damage, which is another Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. A lot of people in here just kind of die unnecessarily. And already the young punk appears to have died. The guy who worked at the gun store has died and the wrong Sarah Connor has died. And we also hear that this Sarah Connor who passed away was a 35 year old mother of two. Yeah, a lot of collateral damage up in here. So in the next scene, the skinny man from the future, again, he's played by Michael Bean and his name in this movie is Reese. He is hot wiring a car near a construction site when he has this weird kind of flash forward dream where him and another person, it appears to be a woman, are fighting machines in the year 2029. They kind of are dressed up like soldiers. So they're skulking around the ruins of Los Angeles trying to destroy a large robot. And so his partner ends up getting vaporized by the robot. And the vaporization is hilarious. I don't know why the graphics for this woman getting vaporized are so funny to me. It's freaking hilarious. And the skinny man, Reese, blows up the robot. And while he's trying to escape, he gets attacked by a flying robot and appears to be dying in his getaway car when he wakes up in 1984. So he is having dreams that remind him of the future. An interesting concept. So Sarah has a roommate named Ginger. We'll talk more about her later. And we switch scenes to a police station where Lieutenant Traxler, who is played by Paul Winfield, is chewing the hell out of some gum, y'all. I have never seen nobody chew gum that hard, okay? <laughs> An officer, who I think may be a sergeant, shows the lieutenant that two women named Sarah Connor have been killed within the same day. So this is how we find out that the Terminator has already killed the first two Sarah Connors and killed them in the order that they were listed it in the phone book and like low-key we need to talk to the third Sarah Connor before she gets murked too so their first kind of initial thing is like hey we're a little worried about the press because once they release that two people with the same name have been killed like it's going to be a media frenzy right so Ginger and Sarah in a different scene are getting ready for a night out on the town they also have a pet iguana named Pugsley who plays a very minimal role in this movie. He only comes up one other time, but they listen to some messages on their voicemail machine and they see that Sarah's date canceled on her and the voice of the guy who cancels on her again is James Cameron. So she's like, screw that, I'm gonna go to a movie. So Sarah gets on her moped and heads out and a guy named Matt, who's Ginger's boyfriend, goes into the apartment right as Sarah is leaving. When Sarah gets on her moped and gets ready to ride out to, you know, be by herself or whatever, the vibe in the parking garage is really creepy. And so come to find out, the skinny man from the future is there and he follows her. So back at the precinct, the press is on the cop's butts and they can't get a hold of Sarah. So a cop calls Sarah and it looks like the apartment door was open. That information does not come back. I feel like I might be tripping. But when they showed the voicemail machine, for whatever reason, it looked like the door to their apartment was open. Open, and maybe I'm just misremembering. But Ginger is in the apartment getting freaky with her boyfriend. And if we know anything about kids fornicating in movies is that they always die together. <laughs> so <laughs> that is pretty obvious. So Lieutenant Traxler decides that if he goes to the press first, maybe the targeted Sarah Connor will actually reach out to the police. So Sarah is out at a bar having pizza alone when the news story comes on in the restaurant to reveal that the second Sarah Connor has been killed. Now this Sarah Connor starts to get worse. She's like, well, dang, I'm Sarah Connor too. And so she goes to the payphone in the restaurant, but unfortunately it is out of order. So she has to go somewhere else to make a phone call to try to get in touch with the police. She also sees that in the phone book, she is the third Sarah Connor listed. So she kind of knows that she's next. 
So she leaves the restaurant to go find another phone and the skinny man from the future is following her. And so she goes to a bar to lose him because she realizes she has somebody on her tail and she uses the phone. And so the payphone is in the middle of this super loud club. I don't know how payphones worked back in the day, y'all. Again, I was born in 1990. It's not. However, putting a payphone in the middle of a club does not make sense. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me. So Sarah gets to the payphone, is attempting to call the police, but the lines are all <laughs> busy. So she ends up hanging up the phone. So Arnold, the Terminator, arrives at Sarah's apartment and Ginger, we see throughout the movie, is actually obsessed with listening to her Walkman really loudly. So she's listening to her music while she gets up to grab a midnight snack and the iguana scares her. This is the only other time that the iguana comes up. Like, it's totally useless. <laughs> but anyways, the Terminator enters the apartment through Ginger's bedroom sliding doors and he attacks Ginger's boyfriend, Matt. And then he proceeds to throw Matt around like a rag doll. He throws him through the glass doors, through a mirror, through a night table, and eventually through the bedroom door. Because the music is so loud in Ginger's ears, she don't hear nothing. So <laughs> he throws Matt right through the bedroom door, right as Ginger is getting ready to walk to her room. And when the Terminator sees her, he shoots her in the back. And then he shoots her multiple times as she tries to crawl away. As the Terminator is finishing the job, the answering machine activates and it's Sarah. She was calling Ginger to tell her that she's at a club and the exact location of this club and that she's scared because somebody is after her and she wants Ginger and Matt to come pick her up. Okay, I'm going to say this. This is the 80s, mid 80s. I do not recall answering machines working this way. Just personally, I don't recall people being able to leave messages that were audible in like the whole apartment too young, <laughs> but it happens a lot in movies, even movies that come out way, way, way later. Anybody else feel like that's weird? That is something that happens in movies that either hasn't happened in real life for a long time or maybe even never happened. I don't, I don't freaking know. But anyways, the Terminator, realizing that he did not kill the real Sarah Connor, looks through Sarah's room and her belongings to find a picture of her so he knows who she is. Now, mind you, he just killed like four people, five if you include the store owner, for no reason. Didn't even get the real Sarah Connor. This Terminator has no conscience, okay? But it looks like the skinny man from the future, Reese, already knew who the correct Sarah Connor was. So at least he's on her tail and is able to watch her and look after her before Arnold got to her through process of elimination. So in the next scene, Sarah ends up getting a hold of Lieutenant Traxler. She's finally able to get through to the police and he tells her to stay visible, stay in the club, don't go anywhere private. The police are on their way. And then the Terminator shows up at the bar because remember she told him basically where he could find her. And so he attacks the bouncer when they try to get him to pay the cover charge. And then the Terminator is walking through looking for her. And because Sarah knows that the skinny man is following her, I think she assumes that he's the one out here killing people. So she looks around the room and spots him. But just then the Terminator turns and sees her sitting alone at the table and aims his laser beam gun at her. So the skinny man from the future sees what's happening and shoots the Terminator with like five rounds from a shotgun, the same shotgun that he took from the police car. So the club starts clearing out. They shoot up the club, okay? And the Terminator ends up getting knocked to the ground from the force of the shot, but he is not dead. And this is where we realize that he is not human, okay? Any human would be super dead after getting five shotgun shots to the body. So he starts shooting his gun at the skinny future man while Sarah tries to escape. And so the Terminator almost gets her again, but the skinny man rescues her once more. And he says the famous line, come with me if you want to live. So they begin to run from the Terminator. It's at this point where we see the world through the Terminator's eyes and that he has a targeting system, which is his way of, like I said, viewing the world so we now see that he is super 
humanly strong and he doesn't die from otherwise fatal wounds because he is a machine. And so the skinny man blows up the Terminator, but because the Terminator ain't a man, it does not work. And so Arnold hops on the hood of the car and tries to grab Sarah through the windshield, but then he gets thrown onto the sidewalk right as an officer pulls up to the scene. Okay, so the officer reports a hit and run and is worried that, you know, the Terminator is <laughs> is injured. But then the Terminator hurts the officer a little bit to steal his cruiser. So at this point, Arnold Schwarzenegger is starting to look a little different. And I was like, why does he look so different right now? And at this point, he has no eyebrows because when the skinny man blew him up, they singed off. Just actually kind of funny. And that's one of the things that happens in both movies is that over time as the Terminator gets hurt his flesh starts to kind of disintegrate and it's it's a weird element of the story it's pretty strange so in the next scene the skinny man from the future is driving really fast to get away from the Terminator and Sarah is afraid of him she don't know what the heck is going on and he's like you need to do as I say I'm here to protect you and this is the point where we find out his name is Reese he's some type of sergeant from the year 2029 and it appears as if he was assigned to protect her he tells her that she's been targeted for termination and the Terminator is there to kill her basically. And so Arnold Schwarzenegger is in a stolen cop car and he's able to copy the officer's voice and respond to the police dispatcher so that he can get some more information on the location of Sarah and Reese. So fun fact, I used to be a police dispatcher for the LSUPD while I was getting my bachelor's degree in business management. It's a very interesting time in my life. I dispatched while I went to school for like four and a half years. So Maybe I'll talk about that later. But anyways, the dispatcher tells the Terminator where Sarah and Reese were last seen. So yeah, the Terminator is on their ass. <laughs> so Reese starts to give Sarah the lowdown on what's going on with the Terminator. He's a machine that was made by Cyberdyne Systems. He's model 101. He's a Terminator. And it's super important to the future of humanity that Sarah lives. We find out that... The Terminator is a cyborg and not a robot. Excuse me. <laughs> I didn't know that was a distinction, but they are simultaneously being chased by the cops in relation to like the hit and run situation and the Terminator. So they have to go to a parking garage to find a new car to steal so that, you know, they can get the police off their behinds. So we find out more about the Terminator. The Terminator is from the infiltration unit, okay? His insides are like a hard robotic chassis while his outsides are human organs. So he has hair, blood, teeth, all that kind of stuff. So the first series of Terminators had rubber skin and were easy to spot, but this one looks human because the Skynet, the like robotic overlord, became iterative and started redesigning the infiltration units to look more human so that they could continue to demolish humankind. So when Sarah finds out that Reese is claiming that he and the Terminator are both from the future, she tries to leave. She thinks the man is crazy and he has to grab her to keep her in the car but then she bites him and then he says like cyborgs can't feel pain but I can and I was like can you? Because when she bit him, he didn't wince in pain or nothing. Like he was pretty stale faced. And I started to suspect him actually, personally. <laughs> but Sarah has like his blood on her lips. She bit the crap out of him. And I can understand why she doesn't trust him, but he really is her only hope. He saved her life at least two or three times. So she better roll with him unless you want Arnold to come get her, okay? And so Reese emphasizes that the Terminator is basically emotionless and unstoppable. And Reese is like, I don't even know if I can stop him. I'm just here, you know, <laughs> I just work here. <laughs> so finally, the police arrive to the garage and they find the stolen car. By this time, Reese and Sarah find a new car to steal. And the Terminator actually hears the location of the parking garage on the radio. 
So Reese tells her that in a few years, a nuclear war happens and it wipes out the planet except for a few survivors. We find out that the war was started by defense network computers that were hooked into basically everything. The computer ended up getting smart and instead of targeting terroristic or foreign threats, it saw all people as a threat and decided to wipe out humanity. So the goal of the computer was human extermination. We find out that Reese did not see the war but was raised in the ruins, hiding from what he called HKs, which stands for Hunter Killers. And we find out that some people were put in camps for disposal, which is very Holocaust-y sounding stuff. And we see that Reese was marked with like a number and a laser because he was left alive to work in the disposal unit at the kill factory. But while he was there, a man taught the survivors how to fight and to escape robot imprisonment and how to defeat the machines. That person was John Connor, who is Sarah's unborn son. So the Terminator actually shows up at the parking garage right as Reese is getting the new car hotwired and they shoot at each other and they continuously make don't really know how and a very surprised looking Terminator with no eyebrows chases them across the city. The chase ends when the Terminator collides with the wall in a vehicle and a lot of officers pull up and Sarah has to make sure that Reese doesn't you know get killed by the cops so she has to calm him down and the Terminator makes his escape unseen like we don't know where he went. So in the next scene, Sarah gets taken back to the police precinct where she learns that Ginger and Matt were murdered. So she's obviously upset about that. Again, Ginger is her roommate and Matt was Ginger's boyfriend. So she gets asked to speak to Dr. Silverman, a criminal psychologist who's there to get Sarah's account of what Reese told her to see if Reese is crazy. Then a weird thing happens in the movie. There's a weird broke down apartment that the Terminator sneaks into through a window. He's busted up from the events of the day and he uses this like exacto knife and some other tools to cut into his flesh to repair an issue with his dexterity that I'm assuming was hurt when he collided into that wall in the car accident. We get to see the inner workings of his robotic frame through the incision in his arm. And it's like this disgusting animatronic hand that moves really robotically. I hate the way animatronic things move. I hate it. It reminds me of the animatronic characters at Chuck E. Cheese and it's extra freaky. Okay. And I hate it. <laughs> but next up, we see Dr. Silberman interrogating Reese about his I'm from the future. I'm here to protect the mother of our savior story. And so we learn more about the background of the movie, the defense grid of the bots got smashed so their only option was to send a terminator into the past to prevent john connor who's basically like the leader of the human resistance like they wanted to prevent him from being born so we hear the name skynet for the first time if i remember correctly this is the only time the word skynet is mentioned at all in this movie but it turns out that the humans found a little time machine and the Terminator had actually already gone through. So John Connor sent Reese through the time machine to rescue Sarah. And then they blew up the place that had the time machine in it so that nobody could come back. So both Reese and the Terminator are stuck in 1984. So we go back to Arnold Schwarzenegger in this crappy apartment, and this is the worst scene in the freaking movie. We see him remove his fake eye because it was damaged from the crash, and then the weirdest, fakest, most hideous face mask slash animatronic robot reveals his cyborg eye. And there are more stupid robotic movements, okay? And I hate the way he looks. They tried to create some type of robotic version of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but the robot looks like the Michael Myers mask. <laughs> like, it looks so bad, it looks so bad. Robot Arnold decides to put on sunglasses so nobody can see his robotic eye. And then magically he's regular human Arnold again after we just watch a robot do some stupid stuff for like two minutes. The movie magic is not magicking for me. I know it's 1984, I'm trying to be considerate, but I just can't stand it, okay? The costume effects, the robotics, the animatronics, they don't hold up, okay? But he gets guns from under the mattress in this crappy apartment. And I'm trying to figure out when did Arnold get an apartment? When did this man 
get this apartment because not only is he here like doing his personal robotic hygiene, but he also stored weapons. He's storing himself there. When and how did he get an apartment? Did I miss something? Did he kill somebody and use their apartment? I don't understand. Did I miss that? I don't know. <laughs> so we go back to the precinct and the therapist, Sarah, and the cops are rewatching the tape of Silberman's interview with Reese. Silberman is asking for proof that Reese is from the future. He's like, why don't you bring a weapon? So come to find out only living organisms can go through the time machine. So they can't bring anything with them, which explains why they're naked. Silberman thinks that Reese is having paranoid delusions, that they're actually really well crafted. <laughs> but then Reese loses it and he says the police can't protect Sarah. The Terminator is going to find her. And he just kind of goes crazy a little bit. Silberman classifies Reese as a loon and the police show her a bulletproof vest to demonstrate that, you know, what she saw wasn't really what she saw. You saw this man get shot five times with a shotgun. He was probably wearing a bulletproof vest like this one. And while they are attempting to soothe her worries, they gaslighting. <laughs> That's really what it's coming down to. We find out that her mom is on the way to get her and she lays down to get some rest in the precinct. So Dr. Silverman leaves the station right as the Terminator arrives. The Terminator talks to the office at the front desk and tries to, you know, meet with Sarah that way and he gets turned away. And then the Terminator does this thing where he sizes up the glass partition that the officer is behind and says the other iconic line, I'll be back. The Terminator then drives his car through the reception area and proceeds to shoot up the precinct, like kill everybody, okay? Sarah starts freaking out because she know what the F is going on and the Lieutenant locks her in a room, I guess, to keep her safe. So the Terminator disconnects the power. So now the only lighting is like the emergency floodlights and Reese is under arrest, but he attacks the officer who's watching over him so he can break free. So the Terminator, of course, is taking shots and not stopping and is killing all the cops in the precinct. Even Lieutenant Traxler gets shot by the Terminator. Traxler's right-hand man gets killed as well. So someone starts to break into the room that Sarah is in, and thankfully it's Reese. They make a break for it, and somehow, magically, the precinct is low-key on fire. At what point did the precinct become on fire? When did that happen? What happened to make the precinct on fire. There's some things in this movie where I'm like, this don't make sense. And this is one of them. So before the Terminator kind of knows or realizes it, Reese and Sarah leave the precinct and then he starts to go after them. And then on the radio, we see there's a very wide manhunt, but then the radio cuts off before we know who they're looking for. So unfortunately, it appears that virtually everybody who knew anything about Reese's story besides Dr. Silverman was killed in the precinct. So Reese might actually be in some trouble. The fact that he has escaped custody makes him like a likely suspect. And I don't know how many people really know that the Terminator was even there. So Reese, you know, they're going to be on your behind. So Reese and Sarah go into the woods and they ditch their car and they kind of randomly find this weird hole or ravine or something and they spend a little bit of time together. Sarah learns that Reese's first name is Kyle and she asked him about what time travel is like. We see that during the whole situation Reese actually got shot but he's acting like it's no big deal and it's at this point that I'm starting to suspect that Reese is a cyborg as well. He didn't wince when she bit him. <laughs> he keeps going when he gets shot like it's coming across to me like he's a cyborg, okay? But Sarah dresses his wound while he tells her about her son. And Reese is like, you know, John didn't say much about his father, but Reese volunteered to protect Sarah so that he could meet the legend who taught John to be the leader that he becomes in the future. And so while she's dressing the wound, he does wince. And I'm like, is he human or is he wincing 
just because he knows that's what humans do. I don't freaking know. But Sarah doesn't want the responsibility of being the mother of the leader of the human resistance or whatever. And so Reese gives her a message from John. I'm not going to repeat it here, but they sit down to rest and Sarah wants to hear more from Reese about where he's from. So he tells her about his days fighting machines and how the infiltrators like the Terminator came in. And we see this flash forward with Reese in 2029 with his crew of like machine fighters. And so they return to their base, which appears to be underground and they use dogs to sniff out the robots. So there's a camp of humans living underground. It looks miserable. People are crying. They're eating gruel. Kids are watching a fire in a TV set. People out here eating mice. It looks so horrible. Okay. Reese pulls out a photo of Sarah and at this point, I was like, is Reese actually John? I'm trying to figure out the story at this point, and I'm confused. But the dogs end up going off as new people enter the human encampment, and it alerts them to the infiltrators, Terminators. So a different Terminator, not Arnold Schwarzenegger, starts lighting up the whole encampment and just starts shooting people, kids, women, all of them. Reese tries to attack this Terminator, but in an explosion, his picture of Sarah gets ruined. So that story ends and it's back to 1984, okay? So Sarah wakes up the next morning next to Reese in the hole they fell asleep in. There's no indication that Reese has slept at all. And I'm like, this man is a cyborg, okay? <laughs> but the Terminator is back at his apartment, but it's Robot Terminator, okay? So the Terminator is back at his apartment, but it's Robot Terminator, <laughs> Not Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's the robot version of him. A man outside the door asks if a dead cat is in the apartment. And this is the part where I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I'm wondering if he killed the owner of that apartment and is using this place as his base, or if because his flesh is rotting off of him, he just smells really bad. I don't know. I don't know why this piece of this piece of the story is bothering me so much, but it's just not coming together for me. But anyways, when a man outside the door asks if a dead cat is in the apartment, the robot chooses to respond with expletives, okay? I'm thinking his flesh is rotting. I don't know. But it looks like the Terminator kept Sarah's address book and is looking for places that she might go. And so we find out that her mom has a cab in Big Bear so he decides that's his next location. So Sarah and Reese rent a motel with the kitchen and Reese interacts with the dog and no alarms go off. So I'm like okay Reese can't be a cyborg because that dog didn't detect him. So finally I feel satisfied that Reese is not a cyborg. <laughs> I'm wondering if I'm the only person who wondered this if this was done intentionally or if the actor just was not showing the right amount of emotion when he would get hurt. I don't know. So Reese leaves Sarah alone in the hotel to pick up supplies. And so Sarah gets out of the shower and she calls her mom who's up at the cabin hiding out because of Sarah's instruction. She's like, mom, somebody is after me. You need to get up to the cabin and be safe or whatever. So Sarah's on the phone thinking she's talking to her mom, but it's the Terminator using her mom's voice. So Sarah's mom is actually dead and she just gave up her location to the Terminator. Dumb, dumb, y'all, dumb, dumb. So Reese comes back with supplies and he's mixing up some bombs, pipe bombs, it's seven of them. So at this point, I'm like, is Reese John or is he John's dad? If he's not a cyborg and he's a human, like who is he supposed to be? So Sarah is scared, but Reese is coming across as he's really in awe of her. And this is the part of the story where I'm like, okay, now I'm picking up what's being put down okay race is in awe of her and it's one of those like stacy's mom has got it going on situations is what it comes across as like sarah asked him like hey what are the women like in 2029 and he's like oh i've never been with a woman i've never had a girlfriend you know robot apocalypse does not leave time for romance okay but being close to death makes people horny we all know that and so <laughs> i was like there was a bunch of kids in Campman when they showed us that scene. Somebody was getting it on despite the robot apocalypse. But I guess he was just one of those loyal soldiers that really was like, I can't have a woman here to distract me. So he's never had a girlfriend. 
he tells her about a photo of her that he used to carry with him and how in the photo she looked really young and sad. And then Reese confesses his love to her and then he starts madly putting away the pipe bombs. And I'm like, you being too rough with them pipe bombs, okay? You was just telling her to be real careful and you was slamming them pipe bombs into that bag. But he's like, oh, I regret telling you that. But then the brink of death horniness takes hold of Sarah and she kisses him. They have sex and presumably conceive John Connor. We also see Sarah's boobs. So that happens. We're going to talk about that scene later, y'all. We're going to talk about it later. So the Terminator is on his way to the hotel as the happy couple is getting dressed in their post-coitus glow. The dog who's at the motel is like going off. So he kind of alerts them to his presence and the Terminator busts up into the room and Reese and Sarah steal a pickup truck and they hit Arnold with it. <laughs> and then the Terminator chases them on a motorcycle or at least a stuntman on a motorcycle does. That was not Arnold. But Sarah drives while Reese lights a pipe bomb and tries to blow up the Terminator. He throws like three of them and they all miss. And it's like, you wasting these, okay? Reese ends up getting shot by the Terminator on this chase and he almost becomes useless. And so Sarah tries to run the Terminator off the road and she does so successfully, but at the risk of herself and Reese because the truck that she's in ends up overturning in the process. So the stunned Arnold Schwarzenegger gets run over by a truck and then the truck driver pulls over and is attacked by the Terminator. So the Terminator steals the truck and is even more banged up from the motorcycle accident. But Sarah's trying to get out of the overturned truck and is also trying to rescue Reese at the same time. So they get out of that truck just in time to not be hit by the Terminator in like the big like 18 wheeler that he's driving. So Reese can't continue really like they're trying to run from the Terminator and the Terminator's driving this big truck. But Reese is like, I can't go on. I think he was shot in the leg and he also was in like a overturned truck <laughs> accident. So it's like, oh uh, yeah, he can't continue. So he tells Sarah, like, you are the most important. You need to keep running. So Sarah keeps running and Robot Arnold is driving this truck. And Reese is able to light a pipe bomb and put it on the truck as the truck passes him. And the truck actually is one of the ones that carries fuel. So when the pipe bomb goes off, there's a major explosion. And the Terminator is seen burning up and crawling out of the truck and appears to have died in the explosion. So Sarah walks towards the explosion where Reese meets her. And Reese is dying, y'all. And Sarah's embracing him. And then the frame starts to look weird. I'm like, what's going to happen next? And slowly, the metal frame of the Terminator, whose flesh has completely burned off, raises up to reveal that he's not dead. It's a hilarious animatronic robot. I'm loving this. This is so funny to me. They run and the robot frame chases them. He's dragging one leg because the leg is injured. They run into a building. And y'all, this robot is so funny. The graphics are so bad. It's so funny. They end up locking themselves into what appears to be some robotic factory. And Reese turns on the other robots in the factory to provide some cover for them. I was like, mm, this does not make sense to me. <laughs> I'm guessing it's like motion sensor. Like if the robots are operating and moving, it'll be harder for Arnold to spot them. I don't really know. But Reese is very heavily injured and Sarah starts talking to him like a soldier to get him moving but the Terminator ends up breaking into the factory and he's looking for Reese and Sarah so Sarah accidentally turns on a machine looks like a press of some kind a hydraulic press and they get cornered by the Terminator so they don't have a choice but to walk up some stairs and then Reese tells Sarah to run while he fights basically hand-to-hand -hand with the Terminator so Reese lights a pipe bomb and puts it inside the Terminator and blows the Terminator to smithereens. Sarah gets hit with some shrapnel in her leg and the Terminator is in a lot of pieces and parts. And then Reese appears to have died 
in the explosion in his last effort to kill the Terminator. But the Terminator's top half is still alive and he crawls over Reese's dead body to chase Sarah. So Sarah's still fighting for her life after having lost her baby daddy. So Sarah crawls into a conveyor belt as the Terminator robot part continues to follow her. And then she goes onto a machine with the Terminator following her. And when she gets through the machine to the other side, we see that it's a press. So she closes a cage so that the Terminator can't reach her or escape. And she presses a button to activate the press and smush and finally kill the machine once and for all. We can tell that he died because the little electrical storm happens and his glowing red eyes finally dim. The cops come, they take her to be treated while Kyle is put into a body bag. He did. So now it's November 10th, which is about six months later. That night where all the action happened was, I believe, May 12th. So that's about six months later. Sarah is driving through the desert in a Jeep with a dog, the dog that will alert her to Terminators, obviously. And she's about six months prego and she's recording a audio tape for her unborn child, John Connor. So the thing about the dog is... Dogs bark at anything. I took my dog for a walk today and me and my dog walked past. We got barked at by like 20 different dogs, y'all. How are you going to know if your dog is going crazy just because he sees another dog or a person that got too close to the house or if he sees a Terminator? I feel like tons of dogs bark at anything. I don't know how effective that detection system is, okay? So she also has a gun on her lap and we see that she's wearing what she was wearing in the photo that Reese had, you know, in 2029. So she stops at the gas station. She looks like she's in Mexico and she's trying to decide if she should tell John that Reese is his father. And she's like, yeah, you deserve to know. So a little Mexican kid takes a Polaroid of her and sells it to her for $4. So this is the picture that Reese had in the future. We find out that there's a storm coming in and so she leaves the gas station and she drives into a ridiculously fake background and that's the end of the first movie y'all. So this was my first time ever watching this movie and it provides so much context for what happens in the next movie. Overall, I actually enjoyed the film and got a kick out of the bad graphics. I would definitely say that it's worth a rewatch and the whole technology taking over the world storyline feels relevant today. So for me, it genuinely holds up. Now where it doesn't hold up, again, is the graphics and the animatronic Arnold and the creepy AF animatronic movements, okay? I feel like the story relied a little too heavily on Reese giving us the exposition. It would have been nice to get more bits and pieces about the background from visuals or quick scenes. So I don't know that I was expecting a romantic element in this story. And I low-key don't really care for how Reese and Sarah hooked up. I feel like it was a little obvious that Reese was kind of enchanted by Sarah, but when Sarah reciprocated, it felt like a sympathy screw or like a it's the end of the world screw. But the end of the movie paints it so that it comes across that Sarah was in love with Reese. But I feel like the course of their relationship didn't have a realistic enough buildup for me to believe that she had this longing for Reese. I wish they would have played up the angle of her just being so grateful that he had rescued her and saved her a bunch of times so that her falling for him would be predicated on what he did for her as opposed to this weird like I screwed you in the last moment and now I'm in love. Like the romantic part really just didn't make sense to me and I hate it. <laughs> I feel like they played up the I'm having sex with my son's virgin friend thing and I just really didn't like it okay this movie features a ton of people who are collateral damage and it makes sense and is unfortunate at the same time the movie features both male and female private parts I love equal opportunity nudity and I feel like it's some gratuitous gore for the 1980s but it has a lot of action scenes a realistic sci-fi storyline with a hint of romance and it's a great lead-in into the next film. So the critics at Rotten Tomatoes gave this movie a 100% and the audience gave it 89%. Whilst I enjoyed this film, I'm eager to get into the next one and then I'll share more thoughts on the ratings. Don't forget to check out part two where I discuss Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Peace out.
Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Peace out, home slices.